Hi everyone, it's Ed Clancy here. Welcome to the Pursuit Line podcast. We're going to be talking about everything high performance. We've got some really interesting guests. We're going to be speaking to them about what's drove them to success, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hope you enjoy. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Pursuit Line podcast. I'm Phil Kelly and with me is Ed Clancy. Ed, no guest today. I think it's one of those ones where we just need to slow down a little bit and make a little bit of sense of what we've taken from the pod so far. We know that one of the top skills for people with high performance is that they need to stop and review and reflect on what's going on. I think it's a great little opportunity for us to chat for 20-30 minutes about what we've taken away from it so far and also see how those key elements resonate with us. So you don't necessarily have had to listen to the previous episodes, that's for sure. But what we will talk about is the main takeaway. So episode one for me was Dave Smith, MBE, Nike athlete, para-athlete, just an all-round legend. And yeah. the word that's at the forefront of my mind, and I know everyone's been telling us on Instagram and that as well, is just truly inspirational. Inspirational, yeah. Words of wisdom. He has a textbook approach to being an absolute master of the mind, doesn't he? You've probably got to go through some of the things that he's been through and to have seen that journey to be so accomplished in that field, I think. You can read all the books and you can do all the theory and you can go to university or whatever it is, but I'm not sure if there's going to be any substitute for really being a master of the mind and having gotten through some incredible adversity in your life. One of your premises for high performance is always the student, never the master, and he's definitely got that appetite for learning. He's definitely well-read. He's obviously going through, I'm going to carry on going through some university programs over in America. His appetite for learning is huge, but I think it's so strong because he needs to find a way to heal himself. That's what he's after. He's like, well, I'm in this position. The doctors have said that it's not looking good, but I'm not accepting that. I'm going to go and read all the current research, all the current science, and if it says it may help me, I don't care if it's 0.01%, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it a go to try and maintain myself or certainly limit my deterioration yeah he certainly had a willingness to learn there was no doubt about that he wasn't one for just accepting what people tell him he was keen to learn on many fronts in terms of being an athlete and how he could sort of better himself as a rower as a cyclist in terms of bettering his treatment and his recovery it was interesting to hear him speaking about that and you know researching his own sort of ideas as how he could sort of speed up and better his process and, you know in terms of his mental health and things like that you know he didn't just sort of sit there and let things happen to him he was looking for solutions and speaking to the right people, reading the right books, and he's definitely got a willingness to learn. I think we all have as human beings, and I think that you know we've all got a willingness to learn something, and it's something almost built into us intrinsically that we want to grow, we want to develop, and it doesn't always mean you know extra money, extra cars, you know, or even extra food on the table in terms of fundamentals. I think it's that willingness just to know a little bit more and also have that sense of feeling of I know how to apply this. I've now got a higher level of skill to get me through life in a better way and whether that's to achieve more or to influence more people, whatever it is your goal is in life. Yeah. I think that willingness to learn is there, but I think environment sometimes or society drums it out of us. So for example, if you're not particularly good, clever in school, I wasn't, I was very average, you know, sort of C grade student. No surprise, though, yeah. Yeah, standard. But I think it was the way in which it was delivered. A bit like you, I was sporty. So I wanted like PE nine till three every day, you know, and I would run around with the ball, I'd play any sport. Yeah. Because I learned by doing, by moving, by being active. And then what I found now is, you know, fast forward many, many years later, if I want to learn something, I still move when I'm trying to learn. So I'll walk and I'll listen to podcasts, for example, or I'll listen to something when I'm out on my bike and I'm on the quiet lanes, I'll have one little earphone in, and, or even on like Zwift or something. 
that's when my body's almost taking care of itself and then my brain's engaged so it can actually absorb it. Right. If I'm sat there listening to somebody, unless it's somebody quite charismatic and engaging that can really sort of bring humor to the room, yeah. I really struggle. It's stereotypical that a professor standing there for 90 minutes. Yeah. I'll listen for 10 or 15 and then I'm like, I'll wait with the fairies a little bit. Just distracted by the next thing, Phil. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe, you know, I'm already planning how I could utilize it with what that first 10 minutes and then I might miss the bulk of the presentation. Right. <laughs> do you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I think we do have a thirst for knowledge. I know you do. You love learning, don't you? I do, yeah. In certain things, there's also many things I have zero interest in whatsoever. <laughs> I guess the mindset stuff we spoke about earlier is something I've always been keen to learn. But back to Dave, I think the other thing that kind of stood out was he always had a big dream, I'd call it, like in mind. You know, he always had the next challenge that motivated him. I guess he never really spoke about the importance of that to him, but I could see how important it was. You know, when he spoke about he dreaming about doing a big ride in the Alps and he just wanted to do this and, you know, he was always on to like the next big thing. And I don't know if that was in part to distract him from, you know, what else was going on in his life. But in my experience, Phil, I don't think it's a bad thing. And I know you work with some you know, big CEOs and you know, leaders of very impressive businesses. But a lot of those guys and girls, they like to have a big challenge as well, don't they? Yeah, yeah, literally. I've actually just sponsored one of them, actually. They're off next Friday. They're flying out to do the Marathon de Saab, one of them. There's another mm-hmm. one I was on the phone with this morning. You know that his next goal is to have a house overseas because he loves riding his bike. Yeah. And I want to have somewhere where I can base myself over there. And he's obviously in a fortunate position where he's worked his way through the company that he's doing well financially. But he wants somewhere as a base over there, ride his bike in the morning and be on the beach in the afternoon with his wife. You know, that's what they've done all through their life. They've had goals. They don't just float through life. We're talking people there, they're like mid to late 40s. There's one guy, the one who wants a house in Spain, he's coming close to retirement, he's late 50s. Yeah. But since a young age, they've gone, right, well, I want to work towards that. And going back to another guest, you know, from the last episode, Laura Kenny said, well, if I want something, I get after it. Yeah. You know, and woe be told anybody who's going to try and stop me getting there. Mm. And I think these people do have that little drive, but they're working towards something. They're not just floating around. Is it purpose? That yeah, way? purpose and goals are meaning, yeah. isn't it? So it's like, I know where I want to get to, whether it's in three months' time, six months' time, 12 months' time. Yeah. Even if it's 90% clear, I know roughly the direction. Yeah. And then you set to work on it. It's a bit like saying, you know, I want to be super fit, but I'll join the gym in three months' time. Yeah. I want to lose weight, but it's now November, so I'll wait until January the 1st. Mm. That's just eight weeks' wasted time, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Well, I guess the idea is you sit there and you're like, oh, I'll just chill out for two months until I get to January or whatever it is before I start the gym program. But in reality, I think people expect that to be a wonderful last two months before <laughs> they get there. But they just sit there and like feel miserable about it. Mm. Same with like unemployment. Unemployment and feeling bad about yourself and depression, suicide and that. It's pretty much a solid correlation between the two things, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think people that are like taking action and doing things or challenging themselves, it sounds counterproductive, doesn't it? I sort of like... There's this idea that's sort of battered around, isn't it? Which must be great sat at home not having to go to work or not having to be challenged or like forced to do anything in any way. But I think the reality of such a thing is pretty grim. Yeah, they're miserable, they're bored. You know, in the old days you watch a Jeremy Carl show at like 11 <laughs> o'clock. For me, for example, I take a day off work or whatever, midweek because I don't know, I'm owed a day in my old job or whatever. And I'll sit there and go, right, I'll just have a chill out morning. And then like by half night, I'm like pacing around the house. I'm like, yeah, mate, you've never taken a day off work. Yeah, uh, sometimes. I do have my lazy days. Normally when I sport on TV and I'm like not moving, like I'm sat there, got my brew there, got this. <laughs> Funny enough, ironically, my wife's away this weekend. So Six Nations is on Saturday. It's super Saturday. It's three games. I probably won't move far from my Saturday Saturday. That's my little recharge day. So you're cheering for England then, yeah? Always, yeah. True Welshman, that, yeah. But I'll be doing stuff in the morning before it. And then I'll allow it to happen. You know, if the yeah. ticket that jobs lift off for the missus, probably so yeah. I don't get a bollock in when she gets back Sunday. <laughs> no, but I do think you're right in terms of it. But people that are unemployed, et cetera, it's environmental. It's where they're at. They don't know any different. 
and I can say this with quite a bit of confidence, actually, coming from a council estate in South Wales, that I'm the only one who sort of moved away. Mm. There's a lot of people there that just don't know any different. And of course, you've got people that are bone idle. But I think the majority of people do want to do something, but they get stuck in that rut of, I don't know how to get out of this. And you've got to look at the socio-economic side of things as well. That If you're in quite a deprived area and you know the cost of living isn't particularly high, and therefore the salaries are not particularly high, mm. there's not much incentive to go to work. Because if you're on benefits that's giving you 14, 15 grand a year, and that's getting you by, and you can still go and have a beer with your friends or you know, a glass of wine with your friends on a Saturday, but then you're going to go to work and it's going to be 18 grand salary and yeah. you've got to pay childcare and you've got to travel to work. Yeah. What's the incentive? Financially, I guess none. Only what we've just spoke about. that Self-worth. Yeah. My sister's never been out of work. You know, she's mid-40s now and never been out of work. Mm. And sometimes she's earning less than her mates who own benefits. And she's like, well, it's not about that. It's about getting up in the morning and having purpose. Having self-worth yes. for me. Yeah. I can look myself in the mirror and know I'm doing a good job. I'm helping people. I'm supporting. It's all about me. Yeah straight post-retirement like the phones are very very quiet for a month or two and it's almost like the longer you do nothing the harder it is to get going again 100 percent. and like once you're moving and you're up and you're about and you've got routine and you're bouncing from one thing to the other Mm. i don't know i just feel like it's energy isn't it energy does breed energy for sure if you start expending energy you'll generate more it's the same as like fitness training isn't it the more you expend whether it's a bike ride a walk a run whatever's going to the gym, you feel better for spending that energy because that's what your body's designed to do. It's not designed to be sat on your ass for days and days on end. And I think that's when we become a little bit more insular and it affects our mental and physical health for sure. Yeah, definitely. But if you're looking for that little bit of inspiration, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to episode two of season one of this podcast where we spoke to Dave Smith because that little bit of perspective around what he's been through. Was it seven or eight spinal operations? Each one could have paralyzed him, severely paralyzed, if not killed him. Yeah. And every time he was recovering from it and, you know, he had a new goal and he was trying to achieve something, he'd get bad news again. Paralysis on one arm. It's just unbelievable, his mindset and the way he sort of... His gratitude as well, just gratitude for the little things in life. And he said a line, something along the lines of, if you can, every day just get out and move your body. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is a privilege that not everyone has. Yeah. I like that. He coined the phrase as well. I've heard it before, but I don't just turn up, show up. And I love that in terms of, you know, to be present, but actually contribute and play a part and show up every day and try and be the best you can be for sure. And I loved it. And what I also like, and just for everybody back home, he stayed in touch with us. He's messaging, he's hearing the message. And we're going to go down and get a bike ride with him early summer in London. He's back now from Jamaica. So we'll get a date in a diary and go for a bike ride for him. And what we'll do is we'll grab some pictures as well and maybe just do a quick little five-minute chat with him and bang it onto Instagram, I think, maybe in the stories, because he's such a good guy. He's, I can see already he's going to be one of those guys. He's going to become a friend. Yeah, you know what I mean, and you wouldn't even know this, Ed, but we were messaging each other this week on Instagram. Like he's oh, one yeah. of those genuine good guys, yeah. you know, and <laughs> he is, yeah, yeah. he's one of those guys you want to engage with and you want to chat with. And yeah. I've said to him, like, you know, if there's anything I can do to help and support if you ever need somebody to have a chat with, yeah, you know, you're never on your own, mate. You know, so top fella, Davis. In the background, one of my best mates grew up with him, which we didn't even know. Yeah, Newton yeah. Moore up in the Scottish Islands there. So one of my mates I used to work with in the RF was Travis. Yeah. And Dave was like, I think he said in the podcast, I wanted to join the RF as a parachute jumping instructor. Well, I was a physical training instructor, which is a precursor to becoming a parachute jumping instructor. So all my friends do that job. I started saying, well, where did that connection come from? He said, oh, there's a few people in my village that went off and joined the RAF. I went, I know someone from Newton Moore. And off he went, I was like, yeah, never. So yeah, Travis and Glenn, his brother, that I'm still in contact with. And I literally played golf with him a couple of months ago. So small world, mate, small world, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah it's probably worth mentioning. I was out in the middle of Dubai a couple of weeks back and I met one of your mates out there as well. So. <laughs> Yeah. Bill Kelly, the most connected man in the world. Knows everyone, but no one knows me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's the way it should be. Yeah. Episode three, Colin Jackson. What I, was the one standout thing you got from CJ then? Empathy, I think. It was empathy. Mm. That 
little story he was saying that when he saw you at the was it September at the Question of Sport green room and he saw the look in your eye and your face going, he's just retired. I could see it, you know. I visioned you wandering around like a lost sheep. <laughs> I do. And he's like, I know him. And he had a good chat. And the fact that because he'd been through it, he had loads of empathy for you. And we started talking about the wider picture of transitioning through careers and how difficult it is, you know, in terms of, you know, your identity and your routine and everything you've done and everything you've worked for is just, you know, overnight stopped. Mm-hmm. How do you then find something that you're passionate about that, you can really throw yourself into because I don't think elite athletes can do anything half-assed. No. You're all in, all out. Yeah, yeah. I definitely had that in my notes. He's still got a bit of competitiveness in him, hasn't he? And yeah. He's still a determined fella. He's still got it, hasn't he? Mm. That little bit of spark. About I asked him that. a question about that selfishness. I said, was this something that you just utilised in sport? Or, you know, was it outside of sport? Mm. Do you feel you're less selfish now? And he just went, nope. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said that, but he, I've got to say my experience and our experience, he's been incredibly selfless with his time and his willingness to sort of retire. Yeah, so what I took from it, and it is one of my premises actually, is that putting yourself first is not being selfish, it's two different things. Yeah. So it's a bit like we use the analogy all the time for me in terms of when you're on a plane and you know, you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first before you can help yeah. anybody else because if you spend all the time trying to help everybody else, you're the one that's going to suffer. So yeah. sort yourself out and then sort them out. And I think there's a truism in there for life that yeah. you've got to be able to put yourself in a good place before you can help other people. You can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so put yourself in a good place. That's not selfish. It's the right thing to do. Then you can go and help and support other people. That's yeah. not selfish. Selfish is when you only put yourself first. You're self-centered. You don't care about anybody else. Yeah. You spoke of the importance of saying no as well. And I'm a big believer in that. In fact, not so long ago, I read a book all about the power of a positive no, it was called. And it's a useful thing, actually, because it's so easy to kind of say yes to everything. And like you just said there, Phil, you can easily get overwhelmed by trying to do the right thing. And then ultimately, you just become absolutely no use to no one, including yourself. And yeah, I think Colin's definitely worked that one out, either the easy or the hard way, but he's nailed that one. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when you build up that self-awareness, you know the type of person you are, you'll understand maybe not just where your strengths are, but where your flaws are. So, for example, I know that naturally getting into, you know, coaching and performance and helping and supporting other people, that really sits really well with me. Yeah. But because I'm altruistic, I can give too much. I can be too generous with my time. And because I don't want to offend or hurt people, I used to shy away from the difficult conversation. Mm. And I also realized that I couldn't say no because I wanted to help and support everybody. But sometimes through life and experience, you learn that actually I can't just keep doing everything for free because I've got to put a value on my time and I've got bills to pay. Yeah. But at the same time, if I'm doing a good job, that comes at a value. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think if you're altruistic and you're people focused, it's really hard to say no and you constantly yeah. want to give. So what I do first now is I make sure I'm okay. Yep. Not in a selfish way, but I make sure I'm okay. And then I can impact even more people. So it's a bit like I work first, I generate money for the business and therefore I can pay my staff's salary, Mm. altruistic, make sure everybody's okay. And then I can go and help other people out now in my spare time. I can help out the cycling team. I can go to Calpe for a week and help the girls. That's what it's all about. You don't go and do that when you've got nothing because the only person who's going to miss out is you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, we had a good time out there in Calpe last week, didn't we, Phil? Oh, it was amazing. Wasn't it? So just people that don't know, so we've got a British-based ladies cycling team, which Pronoctus is the headline sponsor of, and Pursuit Line is also a co-sponsor this year for their second season. And we had the opportunity to go out to southern Spain there for a week with them and spend a bit of time. And my aims and objectives were to, A, spend a bit of time with the girls and get to know them as a sponsor. Yep. Maybe if I could impart some of my knowledge as a performance coach on them to be able to perform better and help them gel as a team. Yeah. But I was also super excited because you were out there riding your bike with them in terms of your incredible knowledge, specifically, you know, technically, tactically on the bike. 
Yeah, I enjoyed it anyway. It was like back to the future for me. It's been a while since I've been on a training camp with a group of athletes. And whilst I was there doing a little bit of coaching, you know, under your sort of guidance, it was nice to sort of be out on the bikes just pedaling like the good old days. And yeah. Yeah, it was... I suppose without any eyes on you and nobody's looking at you, you know, your heart yeah. rate, your power, just go and ride with the girls. I didn't have a power meter on or power <laughs> cranks or anything like that and it was great. I mean, still hard ride. It was nice to not have my head completely kicked in by Ethan Hayter and Wolsey as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> you did love it. You were buzzing. But somebody was asking me the other day how did it go and I was like, oh, it was amazing. I said, but we banged some hours in. Oh, yeah. We work. We were like 8 o'clock in the morning to like 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know, with the meal thrown in in between. The season starts for them tomorrow, doesn't it? But I think it's going to set them up really well and. What I took away from it was a great bunch of girls. They've got a great environment and all they can do now is try and take the learnings forward, ride together as a team. That's all I would ask of them as a headline sponsor. I know you'd be the same with yeah. Pursuit Line. And go and ride as a team, try your best on a race day and try and enjoy it and the rest of it will take care of itself. Definitely. That one word, I know we bang on about a lot, environment. Yeah. It's so key, isn't it? And I think the girls have nailed that. And Spending time together. This is something we spoke a little bit about with Laura on the mm. pod. Spending time together just sort of like bonds a team. And I think it was the same for those girls out there. You know, everyone's a little bit frightened of everyone the sort of day one. And then after you sort of like came and give it the big barry and did a bit of profiling. <laughs> right, listen in. <laughs> everyone's got a bit of like banter to talk about. And we yeah. kind of know a bit more about each other and how we work and how people tend to operate under pressure. And I think that just helped sort of bring everyone together. And uh, it probably helped having me there being a clown on the bike, doing some wheelies and skids and getting dropped on the climbs. And, I really felt like we left that camp in a great place and there was a great feel and buzz about the team and the mega key and getting racing underway tomorrow. My Instagram in particular has been so busy this week because they're just so buzzing about it. This is why the impact you can have. And this is down to, you know, obviously Rick, the team manager, Joe was the team leader and captain on the camp as well. And then the riders, yeah. they're all just buzzing now to the point where that's memories for a yeah. lifetime. And I think that's what's really great as a sponsor, looking back and going, you know, we're really trying to help and support people just enjoy what they do and, hopefully get the opportunities they deserve. But yeah, that performance environment is so important and spending FaceTime together. This crosses over to any business at the minute. The last two years, we've spent so much bloody time on Zoom or Teams yeah, or yeah. Hopping or whatever platform you want, but we really want to get back together now as human beings, I think, and connect again. Start building and rebuilding trust. Yeah. Starting to you know, connect again as managers, leaders and staff and really kicking on. We're more than ready for that now. I just still hope that a lot of organisations give it a bit of thought, you know, and put a bit of structure to it that, People will need a little bit of inspiration. People will need a draw because people will be a little bit reluctant to do it because a lot of people are stuck at home now and just almost fearful of leaving home and seeing that a bit. So you've got to coach mm -hmm. them out of that. But again, the call this morning about that talk we're doing in September was all about rewarding people. Thank you for sticking with us over the last two years, you know, and yeah. if they can get people inspirational like yourself, Laura, Colin, everyone we've had on the podcast, I think it's a bit of a no-brainer for an offsite, really, for these large corporates. It just gives them that little different sort of focus of conversation. Yeah, understood, yeah. But yeah, if you want to follow our cycling team, go and have a little look at them there, Pronoctus Red Chilies, or Pronoctus Rotor Red Chilies, and Finish Line Racing on social media. Give them a follow and give them a cheer on. There's no doubt we'll be racing so many of you in the UK this year to go and cheer them along. So episode four, Ed, was Pete Kenya. So Angry Pete, as we know him. Angry Pete, yeah. is that what yeah. you called him? <laughs> it's a different tone, wasn't it? He was thoughtful and sort of quite deep at times. Yeah, I think so. And that's probably indicative of where he's been, isn't it? You know, I mean, again, you're yeah. one of the top 1% road cyclists in the world, riding for the biggest teams in the world. Mm. And then you realise that, you know, you're not in a particularly good place psychologically. And it sounded like he's been coming on for a year or two. And then he went, right, I need to call this a day now and yeah. put myself and my family first to do some work on me. And I think he's at that point where he's obviously coming out of that reflective yeah. reset time. And mm. he's obviously doing a bit of work with that Trinity racing team now. So 
I think it was just indicative of where he was. And I think it was a great little different angle to a conversation of high performance. Absolutely, yeah. I'm trying to think back to that. The one thing that I took away from that pod was I sort of give it a bit of spiel about like sometimes I think that people end the sport and then everything is going to be like happy and rosy and dreamy, you know, in the afterlife. And I sort of insinuated that that wouldn't have been the case with him. And he was like, well, actually, Ed, it was. And I needed to stop and I feel better for it. So fair play for spitting it out like that. But I think he had enough self-awareness to sort of get out of what was making him miserable at the right mm. time. And we were just looking at him on social media the other day and it looks like he's having a great time and he's finding his feet again in the next walk of life. And when you're surrounded by people that are telling you that, again, this is probably something that you'll experience, Phil, because we work with some high flyers you know, in high places and they'll be surrounded by people telling them how wonderful their life is and what a great life they're leading and what privileged position you're in. Same with Pete, you know, he's earning a lot of money riding a bike for a living. Olympic gold medalist at the time and to say you know what this ain't working out for me and sort of like throw it in for the sake of your own sort of mental health and well-being and your friends and your family around you that's a big decision and it takes a lot of balls to do that it does yeah and I think there's a few bits that he talked around that crossed over with the other podcasts as well so for example I remember you asking him you know the common piece between you and Pete at your time at British Cycling was working with Professor Steve Peters around yeah. you know, the chimp paradox methodology yeah, yeah. and of course, you grasped it with both hands and it worked for you. And I know Victoria Pendleton did. I know Chris Hoy did. But then you asked Pete the question and Pete was like, nah, whatever he told me, is it the direct opposite? <laughs> you know, and I don't know if that's such a, like a rebellious child behavior or he's like, no, thanks. I don't need it. I'll do what I want. So he embraced the emotion. I remember him speaking about how he'd sit there on the rollers and he'd think about the people that said he couldn't do it or said he wasn't good enough. And he'd use that. Is that a negative emotion to like fuel into? No, well, if it works for you, it works for you. And I think key to high performance in life is finding out your own methodology, isn't it? What works yeah. for you? And if you stir yourself up in a frenzy before a race and it works for you and it doesn't exhaust your energy yeah, and you yeah. still got layers of like focus and you can perform at the highest level, then that's what you should be doing. But more often than not, emotions do get the better of people unless you yeah. learn to taper them or use them in a positive direction. And that speaks to the bit where Dave Smith was saying about when he worked at British Cycling as a cyclist, for him, the psychologist or the mental skills coach or the performance coach, whoever it is, seemed to just sit in a room and you only went and knocked that door when you had an issue, which in and of itself is a barrier. They should be down on track centre, walking around, chatting, everything all right today, do you need anything? Can I help and support? That's very much my way of working. I like to get in the pits a little bit and yeah. see the whites of people's eyes and see how they're doing. And maybe they just need one word or maybe they need some space or yeah. the manager just doesn't leave them alone. You go, I think you just need some space now. You're overwhelming them. You know, you're quite intrinsic to everything that's going on. Yeah. And I see this with organisations that a performance psychologist, performance coach, they only use them when everything's gone to rats. Yeah. Which can be seen as a psychological barrier of, well, I'm weak, you know, I've accepted that things are not right, yeah. rather than getting in there early and having those earlier interventions, those shallower conversations. Yeah. yeah, from my point of view, I wouldn't reach out if I felt mildly unhappy or stressed about something because I'll be like, I don't want to waste the time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so you've done that with me, though. Ed, because we've yeah. got the relationship mm. and we've got the relationship because we've spent time together and we've had good conversations. So yeah. I'll say to you, how are you doing today? Mm. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, all right, no, it's not. What's going on? You'd be like, all right, this is doing my head. And then we'll have a chat <laughs> yeah, about yeah. it inadvertently. Yeah. But that's because of relationships. And I think that's the role that high performing teams have in terms of that external support is they have that professional specialist support embedded in it. Yeah, you know, they're walking around rather than being separate to it. And then yeah. you've got to go across another psychological barrier. This is not about any sport. I just see it across the board, even with organizations, you know, that your occupational health or your psychologists or your counselors, they're in a different building and you feel like you know, you've got to walk across. It's a big old step. Yeah. yeah. Rather than getting out there and Marched knowing people. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And 
Can you imagine if people walk down that corridor and halfway down turned around, you know? Yes, I can, Phil, yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's one of the things I took away from Pete. And I do wonder sometimes if there were some earlier interventions or a different style of support there for him as professional teams as well, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So whether yeah. he would have carried on with his career or not, who knows? Yeah. Again, who another knows? question I asked Pete was, do you think it was too much too soon? Because when we watched, was it a Wahoo documentary? Then? Yeah. Like, he was so into it as a kid. They love cycling on the Isle of Man. Yeah. And he was always going to be a cyclist. And he had his little notebooks from when he was a five, ten-year-old, with his pictures in and his newspaper cutting. It was a that. proper scrapbook, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I asked him, like, do you think it was just too much too young? Like, you know, do you think an excess of pressure or whatever? And again, he said no to that. He was like, I don't think so, because he just loved it at the time and he wanted to be there. There was a moment yeah. in that documentary, though, when he was flicking through it, and there was a quote he wrote down. I can't remember exactly what it was. And he went, oh, that's a bit deep. He was like 14 or 15 at the time he wrote yeah. it. He said to like, junk food will not make you win a race. And uh, yeah. <laughs> what was he doing? <laughs> yeah. It's funny, isn't he? Well, McDonald's done you all right, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicken wraps, though, isn't it, rather than the Big Macs? Yeah. Usain <laughs> Bolt, the ultimate McDonald's ambassador, did all right, didn't he? Yeah. So we had, obviously, Pete on there talking about his challenges and how he obviously came to retire fairly early on, I suppose. You know, he probably had another couple of years left in him, didn't he? And yeah, definitely, yeah. How he's come to terms, and he's still come to terms with it and still mm. working on himself to be a better place. And yeah. I really like the way he was open about big credit to his family for supporting him and his agent and all that. Yeah, his agent. He said he wasn't particularly a nice person to be around at that time, you know? I've got to say, whenever I've been around Pete, he's ups and downs. We didn't call him angry Pete for nothing. <laughs> but he's always a great guy to be around, on the outside at least. He said this on the pod as well. It was after sort of 2012, you know, I really spent a lot of time with him that he felt like things sort of went down a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of his happiness. But at least when I knew him, he was always like the life and soul of the party. He was always one dancing around the pits with his earphones on before a big race. And he always had some great banter. And like I said, that was before it went downhill, really. But point being, you never really know what people are thinking behind the scenes, do you? No, you don't. You never know. And the only way you will know is if you get to know him and you start connecting and having those conversations again. And I think that's a lovely little link into the last episode with Laura. Was She always said she's a bit of an extrovert. She loves chatting where yeah. Jason's the quiet one. She said, I'll just go and talk to anyone where Jason is <laughs> warming up a little bit. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see her being a little firecracker and a little linchpin almost of joining dots, right? You do this, I do that. And you know, they're almost that captain within the team that yeah. orchestrates things that makes it real and makes it happen. Proactive. The biggest thing I took away from it, she's incredibly proactive. And I've kind of seen that when we've been on the face of things in track center and in competition and that she's always a go-getter. She's the one that writes the email to management first to like make a point about things or, you know, express a disappointment or whatever it is, or heap praise on people around her. And, you know, when you read businessy type books and performance books, it's always a key point, isn't it? Being proactive, taking action or put your head of the competition. And I think that's been one of her greatest assets. She doesn't mess around. She reminds me of yourself a bit, actually, Phil. I don't know if that's a military thing, but you just get things done. You don't sit on things. When you boil it down, and I might be oversimplifying this, but I think sometimes, more often than not, life's all about decisions, isn't it? You make decisions, right decisions, you make wrong decisions, and there's someone in between. But the only way of knowing if it's the right decision or not is taking action. And I see a yeah. massive disconnect where people can't make a decision mm. or when they decide to do something, I'm going to lose weight, yeah. but let's put it off for eight weeks. Mm. There's a lack of action off the back end of it. And I think that I'd rather do something and get it wrong and then yeah. adjust than just sit and wait. I mean, we've had some conversations about pursuit line business the last few hours and last night. And there's some big stuff happening over the next few weeks. They're not small steps. No. Bringing people in changing roles, employing people. Because what we can do is just keep doing what we're doing and we'll get what we got, you know, again, another cliche. Or we yep. go, right, well, what do we need to get to where we want to be? Well, we need support from there. We need this, this, this. How do we get it? How do we fund it? And then we can work our way around it. That's taking action. And then all of a sudden now we can fine tune that and refine it. Do you think it's like fear or worries that holds people back making calls? 100%. Either an ego thing, so fear of being wrong. Yeah, yeah. Or a fear of success. 
it's almost like a fight, flight, freeze thing. And I just feel like, speaking for myself, to be honest, if there's a fairly weighty decision to be made, and, you know, there's the same being an athlete, you know, regarding anything, like team strategies, lineups, whatever it was, same in the afterlife, career direction, things like that. If there's a fairly weighty decision to be made, I just feel like I go into freeze mode, Phil, and I just sort of sit there and be like, well, if I don't do anything, then, yeah, I guess you've already said it, you can't do anything wrong. I can definitely sit there too long and, like, I'm quite analytical, as you know, and I'll sit there and I'll think about the numbers and, like, the pros and cons and I'll think, oh, how's this going to affect things in a month, three months, six months, six years down the line? But, yeah, I definitely think at some point in time you're better off just having a punt, aren't you, and getting stuck in. Well, yeah, but there's a difference between a punt and also making an informed decision and best guess. And there's a huge amount of research around neuroscience and central nervous system now around, like, the vagus nerve, which is, you know, your stomach linked to your brain. If I remember right, it's the only part of the body that sends signals to the brain. Yeah, Rather than the brain yeah. sending the signal to, you know, I need to move, I need to walk. Yeah. And this is all based, you know, in and around your stomach, your stomach memory. Right. So not in terms of your digestive system, but there's right. a vagus nerve in there that sends yeah. signals to your brain that tells you what it's thinking. And this is where your gut feeling and your butterflies and that come from. Uh, and, and this is when I people understand. say, trust your yeah. gut. If yeah. there's signal coming from your gut, more often than not, it's intuition. Right. And if your intuition's going, this feels about right or this feels about wrong, yeah. if you can't have any logical sense around it or yep. can't trust your gut. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And roughly 80 to 90% of the time, you'd be right. That's current research, isn't it? If I've understood it rightly. I'm no neuroscientist. <laughs> yeah. And I might have read a couple of articles and scholarly papers on it. There'll be people who are going, he's talking absolute crap. Yeah. But that's what I was reading into it. There's obviously a bit more complex than that. Yeah. But yeah, the Vargas, you know, have a little read up on that. It's interesting and linked to intuition and your gut feeling that we call it. And we've said this for yeah. thousands of years. Trust your gut, trust your gut. Oh, if in yeah. doubt, trust your gut. I like it. And it won't take you far off wrong. Right, that's interesting, Phil, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting. Really that one. Yeah, we'll have a little look at that. It's a little bit of homework for everybody. And then, if I'm wrong, send me some more articles and I'm more than happy to stand corrected and learn. Willingness to learn, Phil, can you? Yeah, always willingness to learn, yeah, for sure. And actually, I've got a call next week with Jane, the team psychologist, so she'll know all about that. So I'll get her to do a little debrief on me and she's like, yeah, you're not far off. It's not quite that simple. But yeah, it's classic me that is trying to really simplify it so I can make sense of it. So moving forward then, Ed, I think we've got nine episodes all in. So we've got four left. And just to recap why we want nine, you've won nine major gold medals. So you've got three Olympic gold and six world championship gold. So it's a nice little link there. What do you want to get out of the next four? What type of guests we're looking after? Not particularly names, but maybe what industry do we want them from? I want a big banger to go out with. I want episode nine to be a big banger, a big star. So we're going to have to have a little look at our network. We'll get the phone book out. Yeah, see the address book out. And then... I'm starting to think maybe somebody from business, maybe like just a different slightly angle on yeah, yeah. high-performing businesses. I'd quite like a motorsporty type person there mm, as well. Like, um, nice. Spoke about this. I need to reach out and try and tap one of them up. Like, you know, particularly one of like the TT riders, something like that. They just do. Well, some... the Isle of Man TT when they're doing like 160 yeah, miles an hour, sort of stuff. 200 just, miles. Yeah. I mean, like, I know what it's like to sit on the start line and feel butterflies, funnily enough, and you know, you feel like you're oh, weight of the world on your shoulders, so much pressure and expectation, all that. But I cannot imagine sitting on a 200 horsepower superbike. You know, on the start line, the Isle of Man TT, knowing that the odds aren't brilliant in a lot of different ways. And I look at them when they sat there, I'm like, how are these guys keeping it together? Well, my TED talk that I did a few years ago was on the Isle of Man TT motorbike races, and we talked about the flow state. Yeah. Crashes tend to happen when they're flying along. They're just thinking completely subconsciously because it's habit, it's repetition, it's processing the information, you know, hundreds and hundreds of meters in advance. It's only when something catches their attention and takes away their focus Mm. is more often when accidents happen, whether it's, you know, a fly in the screen or there's a flash Mm. in the corner or 
they're not concentrated in because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's interest in it in that flow state where they're fully engaged in it. And I think there's probably, apart from maybe like the top end surfers where they're surfing the 50 meter waves out in Hawaii and that, oh, yeah. where they're in complete flow state yeah. and not worrying about the consequences. Because like anything, when you worry about the consequences, that's what you get. Yeah. You're concentrating on being at one with the bike, being at one with the surfboard, mm. hitting those right lines, the right timing, going to the safe place, executing your plan. Yeah, That's all they're thinking about. As soon as they start thinking about anything else, you're increasing your chances. Going back to last week's cycling camp, this is what we're talking about the girls were descending. If you're worrying about crashing going down a descent, mm. you're actually increasing your chances of crashing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because you're painting that picture in your brain and your brain's like, oh, well, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? What am I doing here? I'm a bit confused. When you're going, no, I'm going down this angle. I'm going to take it wider. I'm going to cut that corner. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to feather the brakes. I'm going to, yeah. whatever you're doing, you're in control. Yeah. There's always an opportunity or chance of crashing. Yeah, yeah. But it's about taking that control of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions in that time. Yeah, it does make sense that felt too fair and on a different level. You know, you talk about the surfers there and the motorbike riders, but when the gun goes for us and it's all action. You don't think about the future. You don't think about the past. So you don't think about worrying about anything. Yeah. So you're not worried about the past. You're not worried about the future. All you've got is the here and now and like, I'm doing this and that's where Ian stood and this is where I'm doing with change and how's Berkey looking? How many laps are there to go? Are we up or down in the Aussies? There's just so much stuff going on. You're just so present, aren't you? And, yeah. And like yeah. you said about the butterflies in your stomach on the start line and your Olympic career is over now. But you know, when you're on the start line, you get that butterfly in your stomach. If you know yourself, you can go, what is this? What's the purpose of the butterflies? And it's just to almost give you that little bit of excitement, but also checking in with you and going, do you really want to be doing this? And you're like, yeah, I do. Mm. And just that conscious thought of, yeah, I do. Mm. And then a deep breath, and then you're in control of your whole rhythm and your whole body. Yeah. Then you're in a good place. Yeah. It's when people go, oh, what's this feeling? I don't know what it is. Oh, I'm scared. Oh, my God, this is nerves. Oh, my God, nerves is going to get away from me. Oh, my God, what's going to go on? What if this happens? And all of a sudden we start catastrophizing yeah. rather than going, yeah, I'm supposed to feel like this. I'm supposed to be feeling this because this is a great event. Yeah. This is what I've trained yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that little internal voice. It's a different one to letting it run away in a negative term. Mm. That self-control, that self-regulation and yeah. accepting of what's going on. Yeah, got it. Yeah, how about yourself then, Phil? What are you hoping for for the next few months? Yeah, just personally, I've just really liked the variety of the guests so far, and I just want a little bit more. I just love learning and talking to different people from different industries. And like I said, you know, we've had perspective, we've had inspiration, we've had, if you want to call it recovery as well, with Pete and Dave, we've yeah. had just a go-getter in Laura, and just to be all very different. So I just want more of the same, really. And I think excellence in business, we'll keep the sports link, because I think people do like that. They do looking up, so we'll get a few more of them if we can, but... Yeah, more the same for me and more feedback from the punters. We've had some great feedback from the listeners on all social media saying it's fantastic, it's inspirational, et cetera, which is great. But maybe if they've got some suggestions on guests, if they've yeah, got yeah, somebody in their network, you know, yeah. if they want to make some introductions, this, we want to create this community. We said that from the first episode. So if people want to play a part and go, I think you need to chat to this person. Yeah, yeah. Feel free to throw someone under the bus and we'll give them a great <laughs> applause. Yeah, we'll stitch them up. Yeah, yeah. And likewise, we're going to convert all these pods into videos so people want to see the talks and, you know, look into people's facial expressions when they're talking. So we'll get that YouTube channel up and running. Nice, yeah. And I'm really looking forward to what we can do in terms of like small bite-sized videos just for free for people to come and tap into our knowledge and experience as well, just to keep the momentum and the message out there really. And yeah, it's good. Looking forward to it, mate. Good work, Phil. Yeah, thanks, Ed. I really appreciate that. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening again. Please, as always, come and follow us on social media. We're all over it. And subscribe to our pursuit line podcast wherever you get your pods just to make sure that you get the notifications for the next episode they will be being released every monday over the next few weeks those that are listening live and if you're listening into the future they're all still below just go and click into them as well because these will be around forever no doubt so thanks again ed really looking forward to the next episodes and take care everyone cheers everyone catch you next time hey guys thanks for listening hope you enjoyed that episode 
Come and follow us on social media. Just search for Pursuit Line on your preferred platform. We're on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Interact with us and let us know your thoughts. Catch you next time.